What does tragedy do to a man? What are we to do in times of violence? How can we avoid pits of despair when unimaginable evil is destroying those we love and the world we know? To find out, keep listening. You are listening to the Solomon's Corner Book Club. If you are looking for a place to read and grow your intellectual life, welcome. Welcome to the Solomon's Corner Book Club. I'm your host, Daniel Roberts. We do a short summary of the books that we're covering on solomonscorner.com forward slash book club. Make sure you're subscribed and you will get all sorts of goodies like a 50% off promo for Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self from Crossway Books written by Carl Truman. It's a great book. We're going to be covering it in October and November. So make sure you get your copy today. Today is the last day to sign up. So make sure that you go to solomonscorner.com forward slash book club, solomonscorner.com forward slash book club, click the button, subscribe to the newsletter, and you will have a email in your inbox with the promo code. So today is the last day to get that. We also do other giveaways and things like that, but we will cover those on Wednesday since today is the last day to get that rise and triumph of the modern self book for 50% off. So go subscribe after you listen to this. And if you like what you're listening to, don't forget to follow and share our podcast with all of your friends. And if you get canceled, let us know because that means that we're doing our job right. Just kidding. Don't get canceled if you can help it. So today we are on chapter four, Alpha the Moralist. And Miwosh is going to go through now several of his friends that he keeps anonymous through aliases from the Greek alphabet. So alpha is the first one, beta is going to be the second one. And there are two things that I think we can cover uh, that, that really are highlighted in this chapter. It's a really incredible chapter. It really is a tragic chapter. It shows you the, often oftentimes you're, you're looking at communism and its propagandic force on people and it just kind of feels like they're rats in a maze and they're just kind of being engineered towards this uh, this communist ideology, but in Alpha we see more of what you might call, I don't want to call it providence, but it's definitely the problem of evil and how it works its way into conditioning Alpha to accept the new faith, even though he may not have, may, he may not have uh, done that under different circumstances. So what we're seeing here, for those that don't understand, not that you don't understand, but that are unaware. Uh, Poland is basically pinched between Nazi occupation and the Red Army to the east, the Russians. And they are forming an underground resistance. Alpha and Miłosz are in that resistance, and they're writers. And there are a lot of questions about the, the nature of humanity, uh, it, the human experience in this chapter, that are really worth reflecting on, especially for those in prosperous countries in the West, mainly, you know, things like who remembers you when you die? What's the value of human life? What's the value of loyalty? What do you do when all of your friends around you are dying? And so that comes, that that's where I want to camp for, for today is on two things, the, the tragedy and what do you do during tragic times? And I think that while Miwosh may not have wanted to, I don't know if this would have been one of his takeaways from this chapter, but it, it seems to fit for our time today. So we're going to start on the Nazi occupation side of things first, where Miwosh and Alpha are in this underground resistance of writers. And this is what Miwosh says about that. This begins on page 87. 
And he says, the war broke out and our city and country became the part, a part of Hitler's imperium. Imperium is just a fancy word for empire. For five and a half years, we lived in a dimension completely different from that which any literature or experience could have led us to know. What we beheld surpassed the most daring and the most macabre imagination. Descriptions of horrors known to us of old now made us smile at their naivety. German rule in Europe was ruthless, but nowhere so ruthless as in the East, for the East was populated by races which, according to the doctrines of National Socialism, were either to be utterly eradicated or else used for heavy physical labor. The events we were forced to participate in resulted from the effort to put these doctrines into practice. And here's the important part. This is on page 88 now. Still we lived, and since we were writers, we tried to write. True, from time to time one of us dropped out, shipped off to a concentration camp or shot. There was no help for this. We were like people marooned on a dissolving flow of ice. We dared not think of the moment when it would melt away. War communiques supplied the latest data on our race with death. We had to write. It was our only defense against despair. Besides, the whole country was sown with the seeds of conspiracy, and an underground state did exist in reality. So why shouldn't an underground literature exist as well? Many underground lectures and authors' evenings were organized. There were even underground presentations of plays. All this raised the morale of the beaten but still fighting nation. National morale was good, too good, as events towards the end of the war proved. And so the context of this is that the exiled Polish leaders are operating in London, and the underground resistance is formed against the Nazis. And the Nazis are coming in and starting to exterminate the Jewish people in Poland, and there are... are massive battles in in the streets at one point he says there was a two kilometer flame or smoke stack that was from riots in the streets and firebombs and all sorts of horrible stuff and it lasted for two months and it's in this context that i want to focus on what do we do in times of uncertainty there's a lot of fear and, and anxiety the pandemic is starting to have secondary effects on famine and war around the world. Uh, many people, if you just go on social media or just look at the news, there's these speculations around, you know, are we headed into another time of war? How are the famines going to affect our own supply chains uh, in the United States? People continue to have uh, increased death rates on the, on, on the whole. Um, so there's a lot of uncertainty right now. And, and, Almost, I would say the number one question I get asked all the time in conversations about this kind of doomsday narrative that is just a reality, it used to be people would say, it's not that bad. Now people are recognizing it is that bad, but what do you want me to do about it? And so apathy, in my opinion, seems to be the natural tendency of at least the American. And what we see from Miwosh is that you shouldn't be apathetic. And, and Hannah Arendt and other survivors echo this kind of thing is that in order to keep from despair or radical optimism, is that you, you have to be realistic about what's going on. And then the second thing is, do what God made you to do. So, number one, be realistic about what's going on. And number two, do what God made you to do. And so in Miwosh's case, he's an author, 
And so he, while he may not attribute his gift to God, I don't know, but for us, if we're trying to live the intellectual life, then if this is a gifting that God has given us, then we ought to make sure that we pursue that because ultimately God is about forming us despite the chaos that's around us. You know, in Andrew Clavin's uh, testimony, he says that in the times of his dark period of life, that when God spoke to him, it was like, even though reality is uh, corrupt and dark, it's like there's a storm around you, and if you have your eye on that north star, you can navigate the storm. And so this is what Miwosh seems to be indicating here, is that in these dark times, in order to prevent themselves from falling into radical despair, and as you read this chapter, they had every right to, every right, they did what they were made to do, which was right. And so you, in your time right now, should do what you're made to do. And I don't mean like if you're good at making money, you should just go make a bunch of money. What I mean is, is that in the spiritual sense, there are spiritual qualities that God has given you in order to manifest your humanity. And while one of those, one of our characteristics might be to be able to make, you know, money or whatever, that's primarily a social activity. It's not necessarily something that's ingrained and built into us as human beings, whether that be, you know, art or writing, something of an expression of your soul has to be part of who God made you to be. And whatever that is, that's what you need to go and do in this time. That's the bare minimum, the bare minimum. Now, obviously, we should be involved in politics. Obviously, we should be keeping up with what's going on. If you're ignorant about the times, you're obviously going to be ignorant about your responsibilities. So that's a side note that we're not going to get into today. But from our readings, do what God made you to do. So what ends up happening with Alpha throughout this process is that Miwosh is going to show you that this 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 man was preconditioned to become a leader of the new faith. And one of the things that we find on the second part is that is that the the tragedy of of one's life might actually make you predisposed to communism even though in this moment you're not. And so we see on page 109, just to give you a little bit of foreshadowing, that Alpha becomes a respectable prostitute, not in the literal sense, but in the sense that he's kind of hoard his skills out to the communists. It says, as a result, Alpha came to be actively disliked in the literary ghetto. This is his little group of, of writers that used to know him before the, Nazi, before the Nazis fell and the Red Army came in. Miwosh says, I call this a ghetto because despite the fact that they were lecturing throughout the country and reaching an ever larger public, the writers were now as securely locked up in their collective homes and clubs as they had been in their pre-war coffee houses. Alpha's fellow authors, jealous of the success his noble tone had brought him, called him the respectable prostitute. And so what happened to Alpha? This is the question. What happened to Alpha? On page 96, we see what tragedy fell onto the Polish people. So I'm going to read from page 96, well, starting on page 95. The Warsaw Uprising begun at the order of the government in exile in London broke out, as we know, at the moment when the Red Army, that's the Russians, was approaching the capital and the retreating German armies were fighting in the outskirts of the city. So keep in mind the context here is that the Polish uh, leaders 
have been exiled to London. So the London is kind of feeding communications to the Polish people to start this resistance. Feeling in the underground was reaching a boiling point. The underground army wanted to fight. The uprising was intended to oust the Germans and to take possession of the city so that the Red Army would be greeted by an already functioning Polish government. So the idea here is to prevent communism from coming into Poland by resisting successfully the Nazis. But that's not what's going to happen. And Alpha and Miłosz are the writers who are inspiring a lot of these acts of courage by the resistance. So keep that in mind as we, as we continue down this, this section. Once the battle in the city began, and once it became obvious that the Red Army, standing on the other side of the river, would not move to the aid of the insurgents, it was too late for prudence. The tragedy played out itself out according to all the immutable rules. This was the revolt of a fly against two giants. One giant waited beyond the river for the other to kill the fly. As a matter of fact, the fly defended itself, but its soldiers were generally armed only with pistols, grenades, and benzene bottles. So the fly in this context is Poland, and the giants are the Nazis and the Russians. For two months, the giant sent his bombers over the city to drop their loads from a height of a few hundred feet. He supported his troops with tanks and the heaviest artillery. In the end, he crushed the fly, only to be crushed in his turn by the second patient giant. So the first giant is the Nazis, the second giant is the Russians. There was no logical reason for Russia to have helped Warsaw. The Russians were bringing the West not only liberation from Hitler, but liberation from the existing order, which they wanted to replace with a good order, namely their own. The underground state and the London government in exile stood in the way of their overthrow of capitalism in Poland, whereas behind the Red Army lines, a different Polish government appointed in Moscow was already in office. And so what we see here is that Miłosz and Alpha are looking at this this whole thing unfolding before them, and they have this, this belief that they are going to inspire people to, to stand against the Nazis. And throughout this chapter, they're asking the question, what was the value of all this? And on page 95, there's a really powerful image of what they're talking about here. Um, he, they say, uh, starting on page 94, moving into 95, in April of 1945, this is when the riots and uh, fighting against the Nazis start. In April of 1945, after the Germans had been expelled by the Red Army, the battles were then raging at the gates of Berlin. Alpha and I returned to Warsaw and wandered together over the mounds of rubble that had once been streets. We spent several hours in a once familiar part of the city. Now we could not recognize it. We scaled a slope of red bricks and entered upon a fantastic moon world. There was total silence. As we worked our way downward, balancing to keep from falling, ever new scenes of waste and destruction loomed before us. In one of the gorges, we stumbled upon a little plank fastened to a metal bar. The inscription written in red paint, or in blood, read, Lieutenant Bzibzex, I don't know how to say his name, but there you go, Road of Suffering. I know what Alpha's thoughts were, I, I know what Alpha's thoughts were at the time, and they were mine. We were thinking of what traces remain after the life of a man. The wor- these words rang like a cry to heaven from a shattered earth. It was a cry for justice. 
Who was the lieutenant? Who among the living world would ever know what he had suffered? We imagined him crawling along the, this trail with which some comrade, probably long since killed, had marked with the, the inscription. We saw him as, with an effort of his will, he mustered his fleeting strength and, aware of being mortally wounded, thought only of carrying out his duty. Why? Who measured his wisdom or madness? Was this a monad of Leibniz fulfilling its destiny in the universe? Or only the son of a postman, obeying a futile maxim of honor instilled in him by his father, who himself was living up to the virtues of a courtly tradition? And I tweeted something out when I read that section about how in America, we oftentimes talk about, you know, who's going to speak at your funeral? And uh, what are they going to say about you? Were you a good man? Were you a bad man? Don't you want to have people say nice things about you at your funeral? And of course, I've never been to a funeral where basically it becomes a roast of the guy who's in the casket. So, you know, chances are, even if you're not the greatest guy, you're probably going to have people with enough human decency not to, like, drag you through the mud at your funeral. So... On that alone, this is not exactly the best approach that oftentimes religious leaders give to motivate you to morality, because it's kind of guaranteed in America. But the Poles, Miłosz specifically, and Alpha, give us something else to think about. What if a tragedy strikes your country to the point at which there's no one to be at your funeral, no one to bury you? How do you live your life then, if that's your destiny? And again, it comes back to this first principle that we talked about earlier. You do what you were made to do. You live into the design that God uniquely put in you. And at your funeral, there will be someone there. And the question is, what will he say? Well done, good and faithful servant, or I never knew you. So, uh, we'll see you again on Wednesday morning uh, for Chapter 5 on Beta. In the meantime, keep thinking.